0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. I'm Joe Bullmore, the editor of Gentleman's Journal, and our guest on today's show is Giles Corran, the Times restaurant critic and columnist. We recorded with Giles for just an hour about a week ago, but it felt almost like we got two or three hours of content in that time. And often when I was listening back to the recording of this episode, I was convinced I had my player stuck at double speed. Such is the pace of of Giles's mind and of his speech. So, in a wide-ranging, highly entertaining roller coaster of an episode, if I can say that, Giles and I touched on everything from the rise of the caviar bump, charges of nepotism levelled against him, being seen as a person who divides opinion, why Giles regrets tweeting about a kid with a drum kit, his mission to save Simpson's Tavern in the city, the debauched days of 1990s Tatler, why lobster is overrated, his advice to young writers and how nobody uses the word Proustian correctly. Enjoy! But before we begin, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Gentleman's Journal Shop, our new men's style destination full of the independent brands that we love. You can find it at shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. That's shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. Head over there for special, unique releases from a fine curation of brands, and plenty of picks and pointers from people in the industry who really ought to know. I'm sure you'll find something you love. Giles, thank you very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast.
1: It's just delightful to be here. Fitzdares.
0: Yes, thank you for getting the um, plug in there. It's important. Them.
1: Well, funnily enough, I wouldn't have known the name six m- months ago, but they've just bought... The golf club near my wow. house. I have a, I have a house in the Cotswolds, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't have asked me, would you? But uh, <laughs> uh, and they, our local shitty local golf club up in uh, Northampton been bought bought by them with Ben Paul in the racing train. Okay, uh, or that makes a lot of them. sense. And it's uh, I went up there and it's yeah, it looks just like this big florals, big except florals, fucking huge racing uh, screens yeah. on every yeah. corner.
0: Yeah, there's one behind you. Oh, so there is. We could have that rolling. You could get yeah. Okay, so you know the brand. Are you a man? You must be a man who has. Is Fingers in a Thousand Pies as far as new hospitality openings goes? Or are you, in fact, pretty uh clueless to the, to the pretty news? Pretty clueless. OK.
1: Pretty clueless. I have just come from having lunch uh, at, a, at a little Chinese place Yeah uh, on Cleveland Street near my office, which nobody knows about at all. But I, And I only knew about it because I was walking past it. And I get bombarded with PR things about saying, oh, the Mount Street dining room, the King and Queen have been above the orderly thing. You must go there, come to Dorian in Notting Hill. And I'm just going, fuck off, fuck off, not going to do any of that. Then walk past noodle and snack on cleveland yeah. street go to it eight times and then 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 <laughs> i make my readers think that because only i can bring them that you see of course so i don't really have my finger on the pulse and also what happens is that all the rich people i meet and i do meet quite a lot say tell me where should i take my wife for dinner that is new and vibrant and exciting i go yeah noodle and fucking chopstick mate yeah, whatever was a like, noodle it. and snack down on cleveland you know down on yeah, cleveland I see street you, you get out for nine quid each <laughs> and, the, and the runs. All my rich friends, and literally sort of Russians and bankers and hedges yeah. in Italian, they go, where should I go for this? Is that Russian? No, that's kind of- Sagreta Garbo. It's just okay. international. It's- Sardinia, rich, isn't it? Okay, nice. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Kind it, of it is- there. Where do I take five for a delicious... You know where the six private restaurants uh, are, you know, here, within a yeah. walk from here, where it's George and... Oswald's mm-hmm. and Harry's Bar and you, that's the, I don't know whether there are new ones of that mate they don't even let me in I can tell you where there is yeah. uh, uh, there's, a, there's a cracking bow bun hole in the wall on the North Circular but you don't want to, want to go there are you or some pub so um, no, I don't really know about it is this new th- this place no
0: it's a couple of years old and they do do food here which is quite lovely in fact
1: is it, is it free with the podcast
0: it's not they did actually offer me food but I thought that I might encroach on Jay Rainer's bean by eating who yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> it's a lovely place to record, though. It's a, this, uh, as a restaurant critic famed for the drawing of pictures, you know, to, to be able to this, this beautiful floral box. It's it's lovely. It's like being inside an old lady's knicker drawer. It so is. It's, it's it is in a really glamorous way, but that is a glamorous thing. That's lovely. Compared to my podcast, which I record on at the kitchen table with my wife, with the sort of cats and the builders and everything. This is, this is beautiful. You could charge by the hour in a room like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> you
0: absolutely could. You described yourself then as a restaurant critic. Is mm. that what you say you do? or you a food writer? What is it that's on What do your, I say to, to, to a your cab drive driver? Day? I say I'm
1: a florist. Right. Uh, when people go, well, so what do you do then? When you get, you, when you sort of get into it <laughs> after a party, midnight, Chelsea, hour to home in the cab, get in, you know, bloat looks What do you do then? I always say I'm a florist. Because they don't ask a second question. It's a trick of my dad's. My dad would say Alan Corrin, who was a famous journalist and writer and TV. What do you do? If he said, "Oh, I'm a journalist and TV," oh, People what you've have you been? Written anything? anything yeah. I do. So I'm a florist. They've got no cab drivers. Have okay. no second question. But, but on your obituary, which do you really think hope it'll it doesn't say? just say mouthy cunt i say ha 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 is my worry uh the, yes restaurant critic that's okay. that, that that's probably the thing I've done longest uh I probably I, I'd like writer but I don't know whether that's presumptuous they'll give
0: you broadcaster because Do I don't think? really know what that means yeah I mean, it's just like he was, writer he was generally involved in the and, media. writer
1: and broadcaster sounds a bit wreathian yeah it's probably I think restaurant it's critical too restaurant critics are the, the thing that I that I'm probably best at yeah. and definitely better than anyone else at the job of restaurant critical food writer in the kind of different, is, yeah, you okay. can't go restaurant critical food writer. Okay, re- excuse me. The restaurant critic. There are <laughs> five in this country, and only three of them are any good. So, so it's, it's at, you, Marina. But Marina doesn't guess? do it anymore. What? Marina, did you not know that? And I Marina mean, as of last se- week, I read a review of hers. Didn't yeah, I? that was not last week. The week before, yes. Marina O'Lofton has ceased to be. She's an ex-restaurant critic. Wow, this is restaurant critic is no more. She's That's finished.
0: So, so, okay, is that a big scoop, or am I just out of the loop?
1: You're out of the loop. Oh, she scooped loopy, it. She she delivered the scoop on Twitter about two weeks ago. Okay. She was very good. She was one of the best. You're right. There are only two now, and I've got to say, I can't think of Who's the other it? one. Is Grace? I don't know. Grace Tom pogger Bowles is one of my best friends. So should we say him?
0: Okay, fine. Three hundred
1: words a week in the mail on Sunday. Yeah, I
0: was going to say. Um, okay, we'll get. To, I want to get to the other ones in a minute. Yeah. But my question was in the canon of kind of middle class fantasies mm. of what you could do restaurant critic is what everyone says. Oh, God, maybe I could have been a restaurant critic. It's this kind of, you know, suburban pipe dream. Is, the, is it all as cracked up to be?
1: Depends what people imagine it to be. I mean, yes, it's wonderful. And I would have stopped doing it if it weren't. And right. I, I've done other things and stopped them and stopped all sorts of TV shows. And gave, I had a great radio show on Times Radio. but I gave it up because the work-fun-money ratio wasn't really working for okay. me. I've given up Amazing Hotels TV show recently because the work-fun-money-time travel wasn't quite right.
0: Was that the reason? There was, on some people would, on Twitter would say there were other reasons why that. I am
1: not on Twitter. Okay. Do they think I was fired? No, no, I don't
0: think, I think people thought that maybe after a time you and the BBC had different values. And this Me, is not to say I agree my, with this,
1: by the way, It's girls, true but, that the BBC is not as uh, woke as I am. Okay. Uh, there's no question the BBC does not value inclusiveness in qu- quite the levels that I do. I right. am so I am committed to a diversity of voices and faces. And the BBC, to me, is, it's just a right-wing okay. hegemon that I can't uh, possibly work with. No, there's no difference of, of, of agreement there, no. really. I mean, it's a loop back to the question you're asking about restaurant critic. Yeah. But it's just like presenting amazing hotels was quite fun for a bit, but it's not a very good job and it's no job for a grown-up. Being a restaurant critic, it was brilliant. Being, I was the Times restaurant critic at 32. Tatler, I did at 28. And mm-hmm. then the Independent... I was, a young restaurant critic. And I remained a young restaurant critic for ages. And really until Jimmy Famourewa came along, we were still all, we're all about 50. Yeah. And then there's him and he is a bit younger. Yeah. Um But, uh, and now I'm sort of a doyen. And now since the death of... Adrian, Gill yeah. and Michael Winner. There's no, no one else is fun. I mean, the other ones are good. Yeah. But they all just arrive and go, oh, there was a floral wallpaper and the service was a little bit gruff. I had some soup. It was well-balanced. It was an accurate bisque. and cost £97.40, which is £12, £13 pounds more than it should have been. Seven out of ten. Oh, out of <clears> ten. <throat> and they fire their invoice. And so that's what they do, And uh, which is not what Michael did. It's not what Adrian did. So, I, I, you know, I, I think it's great being me. I, I wouldn't want to be them.
0: You've made me think now that there's... Um there should be someone filling that hole in Marina's at least column.
1: What of being a proper restaurant critic?
0: Yeah, and being a funny one. Yeah. And I'm 32, which is the age only you were. 32. So yeah, there's words to be heard.
1: 32, had. God, yeah, that's about. We well, see, my wife always says that the reason I'm such a twat is because I peak too early. Mm. Uh, and and I, w- I, I, did, I actually didn't do much when I was about 25 I was quite le- I wasn't I felt at 25 oh my god I should also really be literally editor of The Spectator and people <laughs> were sort of looking at me he's already 25 he, a lot of my contemporaries were doing hot shit and I wasn't and so I raced and then at yeah. 32 I was restaurant critic at the Times and then I got a TV show and it was all going and like I'm still just that okay at 53 so I have trodden water for some <laughs> you know fifth of a century which is a bit embarrassing but in answer to your question yes the, what's great about it okay is that going out for dinner being your job it is still exciting that i have to go so i don't just go to the six restaurants that i like right i mean, so i wish i could go to them more but my wife and i or friends and me we, we you know oh, it's a th- better go to this place and then if we go if it's shit it doesn't matter because it's still work and nobody's yeah. paying apart from rupert so that part of it is really nice it and i'm since having children and, and getting older and erectile dysfunction all this shit you won't know about yet, there's no point going out when you can't do drugs and you can't fuck people and you can't even really have more than two pints without feeling retted in the morning. I would just stay home by the fire with my feet up watching old test matches on the TV right. uh, and drinking tea and stroking my cat. And that's how, even as I said, I wish I was at home doing that. But what being a restaurant critic forces me to go out, but thank God not to sort of clubs and yeah. dancing or the, God help me, the theatre... I, it's out to a restaurant, something new and exciting that other people can't get in, and I can get in and get treated. Well, Mr. Corrin, you know, all of that. Mm. Uh, so from that point of view, it's good. And, and unless they fire me yeah. – sorry, I said that as if someone else had recently fired me – unless I also <laughs> decide that I don't want to do this anymore, uh, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't I would have anything to do.
0: Okay. <laughs> you mentioned your early days in the career. Can we go back a bit even further than that? Your, your father obviously was Alan Corrin. Your sister is Victoria Corrin, now Victoria Corrin-Mitchell. I picture you having a kind of incredibly bookish, witty, erudite childhood, where everyone was cracking jokes around the breakfast table in North London. And was that what it was like? I
1: think I would have said not when I, I would have thought it when I was a kid. But looking back, yes, I realised more than other people. Yeah, yeah. The other dads would, were, were all would have been pretty boring. I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I see them now because my, my the, the dads of my children's friends are boring. No, I can't Whatever I said. They're great, they're great. I, it, so I, I know how wonderful it was, my childhood now, because I can see my children's childhood, yeah. which okay. for all its flaws... The, the, the dinner table, the breakfast table with us is just jokes and fun and yeah. humour and some violence and, you know, everyone burning each other. The difference is my kids get to really chat back at me and I don't hit them because you can't now. I looked it up, you really you just can't. I've asked around, they say no. So whereas <laughs> I used to get a whack from my dad at a certain points, which, okay. which was a kind of cut-off point. So my sister and I knew there was quite a big jeopardy in playing it for last yeah. as a kid in that house. But, um, <laughs> but no, 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 it was, yes. Yeah. So you and,
0: had to get the tone right, basically. You could get away with anything if it was funny. Yes, that, but right?
1: that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had um, to be
0: funny and sharper than.
1: Yes, I think. I think. It probably. it probably was like that. I mean, I also remember crap bits about childhood and being lonely, and my parents, you know, going out for dinner and leaving me with a nanny, and doing yeah. things I like could bitch about. Were you my therapist rather than, yeah. uh, you know, Joe from, you know, then, then then I would probably weep and tell you terrible stories of estrangement okay. and stuff. So. But um, <laughs> it, it, yes, it was. I it was definitely fun, fun, fun. Definitely literary. Definitely lots of reading and writing and stories. And my uh, sister and I both made a weekly comic. I my hers was wow. called, her, mine was called uh, the Super Duper Nutty Comic, and was a rip off of the Bean. Uh, and that's hers, and she was three years younger, was the Poe and Mo comic, which was just the disembodied heads of two pigs, Poe, who was a boy and had a blue pointy right. thing, and Mo, who was a girl and had a pink thing, and it was just their heads talking. So the kind guys, of Beckett, all, all the drawing, yeah, it was just Beckett exactly was pigs. it was basically Godot, God. and it, which is you know mine was sort of derivative and quite funny and a rip off of the vino and hers was existential, and it's sort of that's why yeah. she now does you know, Britain's most <laughs> difficult quiz, uh, and I eat pies, for really.
0: I was listening to your or watching your Oxford Union address well I think it's good that we get it out there that you've done an Oxford Union address
1: that was sort of in masks
0: it was in masks and it, it did seem a bit surreal and I think the way they mic'd you up is that you and the interview were very clear but there weren't any mics in the room so you were delivering some zingers tra- it, and no one it sounded like no one was laughing but there was pause for laughter but I couldn't hear yeah, the faintest well or maybe, maybe no they, one was laughing they, they,
1: they were, were they, did they not find it funny? They weren't a great audience. Okay. They were all right. I went up mainly for the sort of booze after hours in the union, and yeah, and of, also it's a good thing to get on the CV. Speaking at the well, I say I've just never. No, they ask everybody, uh, you know, they <laughs> really do. Fucking everyone. They go, "Why don't you come up and do it? Katie Price has done it. Oh right, all right then. Well, I'll do <laughs> that then. Uh, I mean, when I was at Oxford, I remember I, I only went to the union once when they have their. Did you go? You, did you go? No, no, no. They have this thing at the union where they they have. Um, they have a big speaker to get you along to try and encourage you to join and pay your £70. for yeah. your And I remember the, the speaker, the guest speaker was Bassam Abu Sharif who at right. the time was Yasser Arafat's number two to when the PLO was fucking serious. Okay, yeah, so that you know, was proper. And that was, and we piled this in. And so I joined and then, yeah. every, then every week it was Stephen Fry. Uh, <laughs> the fuck is this? It's a pointless organisation. Uh, and it's a load of Tufted and buffed and Tory fuckheads in bow ties, and it's a complete way. And then every year only oh, come back and talk to the thing. And finally, I got invited by a girl with a sexy sounding name, and right. who offered me said I could stay the night. <laughs> all right, uh, and I went up there, and it was it was okay. With the, the, the sort of booze and stuff, was all, and sort of partying in the union was fun. After okay, the event itself was, was quite dry. Students are quite boring. They haven't seen much. They're full of opinions based on nothing, yeah. knowledge or anything. They were okay. The guy who asked me the questions was nice enough. Very square questions. They're yeah. all stuff off Wikipedia. It, it says here, it,
0: yeah. Exactly. I thought he maybe he was overawed, maybe he was nervous, or maybe he was just used to a kind of political big shots and thought. Oh, I don't know. Column. I mean, he was probably just. It's nervous. brave
1: of you to look at it. I mean, there's, there's, if, you go, if you Google me and go in, it's all. It's all pretty dark in there. Uh, I don't oh, that the Oxford Union no, address? Just, no, 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 the, the stuff, oh, me right, on the internet right, right. and the Twitter and everything. Uh, and then there's, there's things like, ostensibly I have a YouTube channel with nine subscribers, but I, and I don't recognise any of the things, I don't know what they are, it's been made by somebody else. Wow. And then there's a handful of strange kind of video okay. games.
0: Well, I didn't get that deep, but you, in fact, do, you quite quickly skirt into some interesting stuff on, in that address, which I thought was quite interesting. And you spoke about how your father went to Wadham College. Mm. You didn't get into Wadham College. And every time you walked past it, you say, you used to kind of bow your head in shame.
1: Stop and have a little shit is is what I should have done. (laughs) Okay, that would have been better. Yes, no, I was... The Wadham thing... I'd never, I didn't really care. My dad it was very important that one went to university yeah. and one went to Oxford. And well, when you were at Oxford, he always used to say, he didn't really talk like that, when you were at Oxford. Uh, and, when, and, and, and and then I, I put, went down from boarding. I'd never been to Oxford, and I didn't know why yeah. you would especially want to go, but I went to Westminster, which is a posh public school where everyone goes to Oxford. Uh, or if you're really bright, you go to Cambridge, but it's are second rank, you go to Oxford. And I went up and had an interview with a guy called Terry Eagleton, who was oh, a, yeah. a big firebrand Marxist. Uh, English. English and, and, and critical theory and stuff, and yeah. a, and, and then the head of admissions was a guy called Robin Robbins, who was like the the sort of Trotsky to Eagleton's Lenin. I mean, a really left wing one. And and I arrived and I went to my interview, but in those days you did the interview while well, you were sitting in the fourth term it was called. You did it, in yeah. a, fourth term in the sixth form I went to the interview in search of a 2E offer and then just did A-11 and it didn't really matter and I went on but the day of the interviews co- coincided with a cricket tour of India I was going on with a combined Westminster and Eton 11 wow. so I had to write to Oxford and indeed Britain's leading Marxist to say I'm going on a cricket tour of the Raj <laughs> with some, uh, and uh, I can't make it could, could you move the thing? With so I then went detainants. for I went, I, my famous father then drove me up to Oxford for a different day interviews all of my own and I wore my full pinks my Westminster cricket <laughs> hello and they said um, and he said why do you want to come to Wadham I said well my dad was um, have you read anything much? No. Right. Right. What do you think of Lenin? Cunt. Uh, and uh, uh, gone, you know. So uh, So. then, and then not long after that, Keeble, another college yeah. in South Park. Yeah, they, they, they called me up and uh, offered me a place. And I said, well, Maybe. Because I thought Wadham was still going to get back to me, little knowing that mm. like, there's just a big cross had gone on on there. So, and now everyone I ever meet was at Wadham, just all the time. Everyone, <laughs> everyone I meet. Oh, in Oxford, I, don't don't ask me what. Yeah, this Wadham.
0: is, I, I mean, yeah, the vanity of small differences. I mean, I wouldn't know. I grew up in Oxford. They all look pretty good to me. There's some. There were some pretty St Hildas, I think, probably isn't very good, but all of them sound pretty grand. Like.
1: How did Keeble look to you?
0: Keeble looked like a, a public school. It's built by the same people as rugby. A Is big, that really? A big red brick Victorian public school. Butter, you want the butter, gold. or something
1: he was called. Buttermilk. Maybe. He did, well, the, maybe. <laughs> he did the House of Commons. Butterfield? Maybe. Maybe Butterfield. A lot of Pugetian wallpaper, a lot of William Morris. Yeah, and the bloke exactly. who built it was called Buttkiss or something. But I guess
0: my um, the, the pop psychology analysis would be that you compared yourself even then to Alan Corrin, your father. Do you compare yourself in all elements of your life? And does he still kind of hang over you as a... Comparison
1: probably only the same amount as anybody's father does, but it's just it's more public to me, and possibly because I've done some things which other people want to do, like go on the telly or be a restaurant critic. Okay, um, so they think that's uh... they 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 think because of that, then I've achieved something which requires investigation. Uh, Whereas it's not really which they don't do. Most major doctors, most big surgeons, their mother or father was. I mean, my mother was a doctor, and it just looked like hard work and bit shit. Uh, and you didn't get to go <laughs> to the Groucho Club, so why would you do that? But um, most doctors, their parents are doctors, uh, yeah. and then certainly in working class communities, people pass on trades forever. Uh, and uh, it's uh, every, what, what every open, There aren't greengrocers anymore, but they were always called something and such. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. so it's so it's, so it's there's, there's, in, things. And the people who don't like me and think I'm shit, and I am, as I was described described the BBC once, when prior to another time when I parted company with them as a presenter, I apologised for the way some stuff I'd done had gone down on Twitter. Uh, and they said, well, Giles, you, you are a presenter who who divides opinion. Okay. Uh, that's quite a good uh, description Five. of, of uh, you know, I divide opinion. And the people who think I'm talentless and unfunny and bigoted and twatish and unpleasant and snobby and don't deserve my job, think I got it because of my dad. And that's fine. I mean, I, one can't do anything about that. The people who think I'm great and funny and brilliant yeah. don't look for an explanation about why I got it. They might go, oh, maybe you got it because his dad. Lucky us. Or he got it because he's funny and clever. The people who think I'm shit will have to look for some other reason. Yeah, so course. they will put it down to your dad. And also there's an, there's an element of jealousy. People don't tend to walk around. There are a lot of thwarted solicitors, people who dreamed of being a yeah. local um, yeah. solicitor, who didn't get there, and they look around. Oh, he got to. Be kinslist because his dad uh, whereas they all want to do some version of yeah. what I do so then they they look for a reason he do, he does loom you know i, I will never be in the same way that W. G. Grace, I yeah. this sounds bad because I'm not better than my dad, but I, I do some things better than him. But but he was a he was a sort of a, a pioneer and a, a sort of original genius and did stuff which hadn't been done before. And in a world with far fewer famous people and far yeah. fewer comic writers, made a bigger impression. And he was you know he was more original and, and I'm more of a hack. But in this, W. G. Grace is is you know probably. You know, some shit batsman like Jason Roy's a lot better than W.G. Grace. But W.G. Grace was there at the right time. He was there at the golden age. He made up this shit. Okay, I'm going to bat and I'm going to bowl and I'm going to be massive and I'm going to shag and I'm going to just argue with the umpires and I'm going to charge an extra shilling if Grace is playing. And I'm just, you know, and then, wow, wow. So my dad, like, kind of invented that sort of column to a degree. So I would never get close to that in that kind of way. And. It's a thing that my friend Matthew Freud sometimes says about his father, uh, Clement, who obviously is under a bit of a cloud now for other reasons, but he used to say about people like Clement Freud, who was a contemporary of my dad's, there weren't very many famous people in those days. Someone like that, a funny writer in a magazine, could be hugely famous because there just weren't that many celebrities around. I am now one of a thousand voices screaming for attention. Someone sent me a magazine cutting from his, and he was about 50, talking about an interview about antiques, and and he was described as the master humorist uh, mm. sits in his drawing room and de- and i said no one's ever going to call me the master humorist i'm <laughs> already 3 years older than the master humorist uh, so so i sort of will never compare to them but at the same time to times readers and they're the only people that really matter to me really they are my constituency uh, there's a continuity so the yeah. older ones just remember him and they and, and they even like even young ones ones of my your age they probably don't remember my dad because he died when you were 17 or something but the old ones do and they just quite like seeing yeah. just like people like it when the gp Retires and he says, "My son's going to be taking over the business." And yeah. old missus Blenkinsop Blankensop—that's the sort of you know—it'll be a familiar pair of hands yeah. checking for lumps. You know, uh, it's quite nice. There's, there's, there's a bit of that. Yeah.
0: I don't want to put, ham up the nepotism thing too much, but does your sister get the same charge? Or do you think it's more likely to be? I don't know males? much
1: about. Well, I don't know. Her fans just seem to be pervy old men who who think she's <laughs> well, they want to shag her. Or something. No, I I don't know. I don't yeah. know. We don't really talk about it. She doesn't really write anymore, no. and she never has written that much. I mean, she started... She had her first column in Telegraph when she was 12 or 13. Yeah. I mean, she's younger than me, which be, uh, although she's been around for a lot longer. Difficult when you're 12 or 13 to say that you got there on merit. Harder. <laughs> yeah. Um but, it, but she wouldn't have got where no. she was if she hadn't been good. But... Uh, I don't know whether she does get it. No. I, I, I just don't know. She is on Twitter, but she's not a controversial figure. She is um, a Richard Osman type, isn't yeah, she? She's, yeah. she? She's just everybody's favourite person. She's incredibly popular. She thinks very carefully before she says anything or does anything or writes anything. We'll do 18 versions of a piece to make sure, just keep rinsing it for anybody who might be offended. And I frankly have a sort of opposite <laughs> process of diligence. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that they gump her in the same way. Yeah. Maybe they do. Maybe.
0: You left university. You said you didn't really do anything for the first few years, but then um, you wrote for Tatler, and as a, a lifestyle journalist—whatever the hell that means—who feels like the party was over before I even got going in it. The way you describe your life at Tatler seems kind of heavenly. You said it was the best year of your life.
1: You know, so I came to Tatler when I was twenty-eight or twenty-nine, yeah. and I'd done a bit of journalism. And compared to most of the people there, I'd already—I had quite experience. Yeah, there was—it was a beautiful. Sunny room on Vogue House overlooking yeah. uh, 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 Hanover Square. Hanover Square, uh, and I had a sort of window seat, and they were all beautiful young girls who, who some of them were quite talented, some not. Mm. Uh, wanted to be in fashion, wanted to be in journalism, killing time until they married somebody posh. And I, I was one of only two or three straight men in the building. I wasn't like shagging everybody. I'm not really like that. I'm not like Callum best no. I haven't got that that sort of deep. Misogyny that you need to have to to be a, <laughs> I would name the bloke in the court case at the moment the footballer. I won't name yeah. him, but you know yeah, it's yeah. just like it's just like two more than two women a night was normal. I just don't understand that. No. But I kissed a lot of girls. Okay, uh, and and had a lot of fun with you know in those days the link between PR and journalism, particularly at Tatler, was permeable. Yeah, it was. This restaurant isn't. I would you know taken out to eat at a restaurant by. Arabella, whatever, yeah. um, to, and 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 she goes, how do you like the meal? I was I go, well, I don't think it wasn't that good, uh, I, I could probably only give it sort of six out of ten. And she would go, really only six, and peel something off. I go oh, maybe seven. <laughs> and They go only seven. If they got rooms, you know, there was it was quite a pretty open exchange in those days. Wow, there was uh, um, it wouldn't be okay now. It really wasn't okay then. It was no. the nineties, and um, they were often older than me. It wasn't like a wine no. thing. No, no, quite I right. I think I probably had sex with like two women.
0: uh, a documentary came out in 2014 about Tatler and then you wrote quite a funny piece about your time there when and I'll quote this back to you I don't know how you feel about having your work 2014
1: something I said in 2014 you could probably go to prison for now no
0: this is fine This this just reflects on you you said one day you were sweater pulled over my knees perched on the editor's desk hooting like an owl drunk yeah at one point, and you said that the next day no one kind of mentioned it. Yeah. Was it a particularly debauched and decadent lifestyle?
1: Oh, I got much more drunk at the Times. I'd learned Fine. that in the Times in okay. the 90s when you would be, it was like on the waterfront. You do it, young writers to be sort of sitting there and they go, You uh, feature on this, you feature on that, the rest of you, you lunching. And you would come with and you would go and you would drink yeah. bottles of the Red Infuriator, 14 quid a bottle, Cabernet Sauvignon, so- Chilean Cab Sauv, so- and just drink and drink and drink. And it was like really, um Bourgeois to ask if we were going to eat, and just so much red wine, and the men are all dead now. Uh, and I just you learned to drink and drink and drink. So when I got to Tatler and I was my own boss, I, yeah, just. To, and that was that was particularly. I had a girl. Do you know what? I was going out with a girl at the time, in, or, until I got to Tatler, when I arrived at Tatler, with a girl called Katie Razzle, uh, who is now a culture editor at the BBC, and I just bumped into her when I was walking here.
0: Oh, brilliant. Uh, she, was this her, is a she was
1: on her way to the hairdresser. And I was going out with Katie when I started at Tatler. So it was only when I broke up with Katie, all in a mess, that I then kissed a few girls okay, in the office. But, but it was Katie ringing up and speaking to my assistant, a woman called Stephanie Marsh, who's a great friend of mine now, and said, "And can I speak to Giles, she said. And Steph, my assistant, said, well, you don't really want to. He's, he's drunk. And she went, oh, God, is he? How drunk is he? And she went, well, he's quite drunk. Is he is he one-arm press-ups with his shirt off drunk? <laughs> uh, and Steph said, oh, he, he's drunker than that. And she went, oh, my God, he's not completely naked, standing on the tables, dancing drunk. Steph went, yeah, he's Jumper over his knees, perched on the table, hooting like an owl drunk. Was, that, those were the various three stages that I went through in those days. Yeah, and that's why I didn't really achieve very much for quite a while. Okay, you know, I moved slowly up. Alcohol in those days was sort of there. Journalists tend to be quite talented people, quite well accomplished. You haven't really landed anything. Ended up being journalist. It's not a very hard job. Writing yeah. a piece takes about two hours. The rest of the day to fill. You might, you know, you drink to get over the boredom, and then it. You don't. Your career progression is very stunted, and it was only. When I sort of stopped doing that Mm. in about my sort of mid-30s, and I became a restaurant critic and got jobs on the TV and stuff.
0: So the tip there is... Actually, I don't know what the tip is.
1: I don't know. If you want to end up like me, do that. If you want to do... (laughs) (laughs) Inspired
0: by that piece, I emailed you. Do you remember this? You won't remember. Why the hell would you? you probably get a lot of emails from young writers. I'd written a piece for Tatler. They'd retweeted it, and then you retweeted it. Did I? And I I thought, if I'm ever going to email Giles Corrin, this is it. So I said, you retweeted a piece of mine. And you basically said, "Um, I don't have any recollection of that. But I said, can I have some advice? And you gave me some advice. I'm going to read some out now. And we can edit this out if you
1: think it's... (laughs) (laughs) This is advice that I gave you. this This was 2015,
0: 23rd of March, 2015. Okay. It's not seen because we hadn't met I before, but it, it was late. after that when we, we had met. Lunch. In t- we had lunch in 2018. All
1: right, fine. So what did I suggest in 2018? So you
0: suggested. Um,
1: what was your question to me?
0: I said, "Can you have you got any advice for somebody who wants to be a young food writer?" Um, I don't know if I did want it, but I want to do something with writing. And you said, "Yeah, you don't really." Okay, here's what you said. Behave from the outset as if you're already a massive deal without being a total dick about it. And it may come true. When I was at the Times at about 23, someone said that was what Matthew Dancona had done. So I did that and it sort of worked. Read major serious literary stuff every day. This is actually quite good advice. Lots of it. To try to write like that. Fail, but end up a bit better than your peers. Always tell a story. Always. It has to have an end and a point and be funny because it's universally applicable and not just because it happened to you. Don't hold back. Say exactly what you think. Use simple language. Some bit about Kylie Minogue. Um, <laughs> and then never take anyone's advice. They are always wrong. Best of luck. Giles. Then two minutes later, you wrote another email. That's all quite lovely good advice. And this is this is also colourful advice. Oh, and fuck loads of young women because after you're 40, that shit just looks depraved. So then there's plenty of time for writing. Or men if you're gay, although it's less urgent because there's less of a time limit on that. <laughs> Now we can leave that in or take it out, but as a capsulation of Giles Corrin... All
1: quite true. Yeah. Twenty fifteen. So how old was I? I was forty-five, mm. probably just realizing that I would only have I'd never have sex with anyone again apart from my wife. Yeah. So I would have said <laughs> So that was only back to the future or seventeen again type of thing. Yeah. I'd say to a young man, Yeah, read a lot of literature and fuck a lot of women. Yeah. I don't think I'd change that, <laughs> and, is that what, and, what? And what else? Go to the gym a bit. Don't smoke. Yeah. Um, I think, and I also know what I'll have said about Kylie Minogue, which is, call her. She's, she's not a diminutive yes. Antipodean chanteuse. She's a short Australian singer. Exactly. Say right so. Which is that's You still read the Times features pages, and it still says diminutive. Does it? Antipodean chanteuse.
0: Do people write about Kylie Minogue?
1: No, that's true. They don't.
0: But they might do. Um, if they do, that's how they describe her. Do you think that that advice, or no? Here's a better question. Your career, if you were born 30 years later or 20 years later, do you think it would have been very different?
1: Oh, I wouldn't have had one. I mean, um, I used to wish I'd been born earlier. So no. when I thought newspapers were dying and I was only kind of, I was kind of middle-ranking columnist and I, had, I was doing okay probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and I remember thinking newspapers are finished within five years. Yeah. And what a bugger, because I'm doing quite nicely, and this could have seen me through, and now I'm going to have to find something else to do. If only I'd been in my dad's generation. I and mean, he died a bit too young. But if you'd been a big columnist in the 50s, you were set for life. Now, as it happened, thanks to the brilliance of, I mean, whether it's Rupert Murdoch or whatever, thanks to the brilliance of that organisation, the paywall worked, the Times is vibrant, the Times is making money and it's making money on a business model based about really not spending too much money on news gathering resources and paying a lot of money to a handful of names that they think drive subscriptions of one of which is me. So I'm sort of all right and the paper will probably, and when the Times goes down, there's a fair chance that there'll still be me and Katniss Moran and Danny Finkelstein and Matthew Paris and Camilla Long and clean, to the we, we probably will be seen through, so I'm okay. Born any later, I'd have been in trouble. I yeah. wouldn't want to start now. No. Um, uh, uh, when I said be yourself in the advice to you, be yourself. Other people are wrong. Use simple language. Say exactly what you mean. Yeah. Don't hold back. Uh, if you can't do that, there's no point doing the job. And now I have on Twitter made one or two errors, including the thing the the, the, the thing about Dawn Foster. That is yeah. that's just like a terrible thing I regret and can't explain. And do do would you regret it? It's, the wo- it's absolutely. Is it the worst? It's, it's to, not the worst thing your... I've ever done. No. The worst thing I've ever done was the thing about the kid with the drum kit. Um, and I, as a result, I didn't speak to my next door neighbour for years. And he came around to my bonfire night party the other day, and his kid's 23 now, and it's all absolutely fine, and he's forgotten about it. But I couldn't turn right out of my house. For 10 years, I had to use Tufnell Park Tube, not Kentish Town Tube Station, because I couldn't walk past. It was a joke you would make in a pub. I only had 20,000 Twitter followers. Yeah. I didn't understand social media. Nobody did. I was. I, they they had these children who kept playing loud musical instruments. I was a single man. The the, the thing was really annoying. Then they brought him out. He they, they, they had a violin. He had a piano. Then he got a fucking trumpet. Then he got a drum kit. Shall I kill him and burn it? Or fucking kill him and burn it? The kind of joke you used to make to say to mates. I put it out there. There was some repercussions. The, Mary Mary Whitehouse didn't like it. But but um, you know, not really. That was the worst thing I've ever done. And I've done one or two other bad. I when when Raul Moat killed how many people he yeah. killed. I tweeted the report with a link to my new book, Anger Management for Beginners, and said maybe he could have done with some of that. I used the murder of many people in the north of England or somewhere to try and sell a not very good collection of anthology of my work. That was terrible and nobody gave a shit. Then, now, people care about more about things like that. And I was sitting alone on my way out, travelling for work in a at an airport, and on Twitter... This journalist had died four or five days before, but people were talking about it, and they kept talking about how she'd razz me and retweeting this thing where Mm. she's saying, Giles, I don't want to hear from Giles Crony, You've heard from his dad. And there is a gang of writers on the Twitter left who just think I got my job through nepotism. They also think I'm racist and homophobic. They cite me as a paedophile in a very kind of QAnon way because of a piece I wrote when I said that I'd gone on holiday with my three-year-old daughter. And I spent 3,000 words... Sort of deconstructing the notion of a romantic holiday and said this was the romantic, if not the sexy holiday. And they took this line out: Sexiest holiday wants to fuck his three-year-old daughter. And this collection of it was at the time of it was Momentum, Corbyn, all of that. Yeah. There's, they got their t- their teeth into me with is a talentless cunt who got this job because of his dad, who's a racist and a bigot and a homophobe and a transphobe, and he fucks his daughter. And it was, I was like, it was so horrible. That and they I it was just couldn't really say, and like it. Dawn Foster was reasonably blameless. She was one of them. Mm. She tweeted me a handful of times, and so she had but they kept throwing this face in this tweet. And then I didn't name her. I haven't really ever spoken about it as well, I didn't put her name, but I was like, it was still it was terrible. I tweeted when someone dies who was trolled you, is it okay to go, ah, ha, ha, ha. and then I read it as fuck off the hell, whichever way it was. Like, it's a tweet. But it, I did that and I immediately took it down. And then I got on an aeroplane and flew some. When I got down from the aeroplane, you know, people had dug it out and put it out in the thing, and I was fucked. And you know, and I got graffiti sprayed on my house i got dog shit left at my house my children were crying indoors going are they going to kill us are they going to kill us I was in Iceland filming a TV mm. show my wife spent 7,000 quid on security cameras for the house uh, which uh, she got a, an SAS guy at 1,000 quid a day like outside who was like getting rid of people for, while I was away filming and it was all basically my fault my wife was a, I phoned up my wife she said you didn't tweet about that, that girl did you and I went, yeah. And she'd already told me to come off Twitter before. But anyway, I, I regret it was an absolutely terrible, awful, ghastly thing to say. It m- must have been hurtful to, uh, to uh, her family. Uh, they never got in touch with me. Nobody ever asked me to apologise or contact me to anything like that. I just had, you know, just Twitter mob going, rah, rah. it, it pisses lots of people off. I got to everything. I left Twitter. That's, that, that was probably a good thing. Yeah. But to a lot of people, and it's not hard to measure how many. To a lot of people, I am like that guy who did that terrible thing, and there's no redemption from that. It's just like what a cunt. And whenever I get accused of things that I'm not, I got done for fat shaming my son. I wrote a satirical piece about uh, a satirical piece about the hatred of fat people and how I don't care what happens to me in a men's magazine, which you yeah. would understand for Esquire. You know, I don't care what my son is. I don't care if he's gay. I don't care who he marries. I don't care. Who they're there, as long as he's not fat. Ha ha joke. Years later, gets pulled up. He's fat shamed his son. You know, they say they all these terrible things they said about me. And I, at any point where I try to stand up and go, but I, I'm I, I'm not racist. I'm not transphobic. I'm not fatphobic. I'm not homophobic. I'm not any of those things. I'm not that guy. They go, yes, you are because you said that about Dawn Foster. I go, I did tweet that. I did put that in a tweet. Yeah. I took it down immediately, but I did tweet it. If I've been in a room, someone and you go. Uh, fuck you, I hope you die and your mother's a whatever. Mm. Like, oh, I'm so sorry I said that. Yeah, And you shake Different thing, but, you seems know, to be. So, yeah, it's terrible. It's, 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 it's awful because uh, if you have... It's this terrible downside of any kind of public exposure. So when I do a TV show or write a piece or do anything which is really popular... I kind of don't want it to be too popular. Then because if it, it gets too popular, they go, again. he's the fucker. He said that thing about Dawn Foster. And they go, oh, yeah, Dawn Foster. Also, he said this racist the thing list, and yeah. this transfer. Here's this collection of things And have there
0: is it. about four or five, having read these blogs, they do just go back to the same four or five excerpts out, out of context um, and yeah, kind of this... layer them on top of each other as if it proves as if, something. As, as if
1: it's th- things I wrote all in the same day, yeah. yesterday. Yeah, uh, But if you're not on... Yeah, Twitter anymore, which I'm not. It's kind of okay Fine. until I do something, and then it rears its head which again, which is popular. So I, I, anything I do, I don't want it to be too popular. Or it, yeah. the willingness to to, as
0: your advice to me was, to say what you actually think has been the root of your success. So it's got you in sometimes trouble if it's taken out of context. Your your willingness not to really care necessarily if you offend people is is why people enjoy your writing. It seems like you're you're giving it straight.
1: So when I rationalize it to, up to a point, I think well, it's not impossible that. I've made life hard for myself and thrown certain opportunities away mm. or bollocks for various opportunities by a handful of things that I've done. But if I hadn't been that person in the first yeah. place, I wouldn't have got to the position where anyone would have cared what I did. Um, That's exactly and it. there are those who would say, the people who hate me, that I'm not talented enough as a writer to have got anywhere without sort of deliberately setting out to shock. And I think they're wrong. But they're not 100% wrong. There's just it's a different package of things. It's how interesting is it for 25 years, writing three pieces a week, to constantly write that Guardian editorial, but on the one hand, on the other hand, I think six of one, all in all a good time is had by all. It's not, it isn't, it isn't really me. My wife, for example, my wife has had a thing in her, in her mind 10 years which he calls Operation National Treasure and every time I do something <laughs> she says why don't we go for National Treasure Why the plan with like amazing hotels when I started doing that I will wear chinos and a blue shirt and never swear and I'll try and be like David Attenborough and quite early on I just do something fucking ridiculous uh, and, and, and it's all over but my wife would really really
0: yeah like I don't really it'll be good on the on the gravestone I'm not thinking about you treasure the time but yeah Giles Corrin you have to be like Richard astronaut Osmond astronaut to... treasure. yeah there's still time You've said before that you don't feel like you're the kind of proper writer that maybe you wanted to be when you were just graduating mm. and you had dreams of slightly more literary forms and maybe being a literary critic. You wrote a novel in 2005 which was sometimes well-reviewed, sometimes not reviewed, and in fact you won famously the the Bad Sex Award yeah. in quite a distinguished field with Salman Rushdie, John Updike, Paul Theroux I think was in there. You beat them all.
1: I think Mailer. I think and Mailer was Norman in there. The, that, you see, the funny thing there, there's another thing. Now, when I write something which yeah. pisses people off, they drag up the Bad Sex Award from 17 years ago as proof I'm a shit writer. And you want to go, oh, man. In those days, it was 05, those nice girls, the literature review, phoned me up and said, do you want to win the Bad Sex Award? And I, I f- think it's a, not I a phoned bad thing my agent, win. Johnny Geller, and said, what do you think I should do? And Adrian Gill had won it the year before. Yeah. said, yeah, all right. So I phoned them, because obviously the nominees were... Updike Mailer, yeah. they weren't going to go to the fucking booze up at the the thingy club in, in St James's. So I phoned back Daisy War or somebody and went, "Oh, all right, I'll 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 win." What's the pastiche? Oh God, horrible! I, I, it was a, it was a pastiche shag. Yeah. It was a joke, you know. Went along, made a speech, had a great time on the night. Uh, made a everyone made a really funny speech about thanking my agent and my thing and how I'd got the bad sex and and how you have to. Uh, and then no one get. And then years later, they go, "Look, he's a shit writer. Look at this." Yeah. So I feel sorry for my book, which was in part good and had great reviews from like Michael Bywater in the Independent, yeah, Alistair Sugden and say. the Spectator. I had hoped when that book was published, I always wanted to be a great novelist. And thought, oh, I thought I shall be a novelist when I was about ten. My ambition was that when people went on Desert Island Discs, that they would say, "You've got." Um, the Bible, Shakespeare, and Corrin. What what would be the fourth <laughs> book you would choose? Wow! Um, I read that because I thought that was the thing. So, like Dickens wasn't really big enough. I mean, it, that's a sort of hubris which is born of having a famous dad and thinking just being a no- newspaper columnist is bollocks. You right. know, my dad was a, had written a novel which he never published or showed to anyone. He was he loved and passed on to me his love of certain kinds of very sort of uh, egocentric American twenties fiction right. of the war, Hemingway, Faulkner, sort yeah. of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bellow. Uh, Roth Variety, and thought that was a great thing to be, and I thought he, the thing for me to be to take on on so that people wouldn't just say, you know, pound shop Alan Corrin. Little did I know what I was going to turn out to be a pound shop Rod Little, but they're, they're, or, or, or a pound shop Jeremy Clarkson. Uh, I tried to, I've tried to point out, I'm not, I'm a fucking Fortnum and Mason Rod Little. I might be a I might be a pound shop Clarkson yeah. or a pound shop fucking Piers Morgan. But anyway, so I didn't want to be a pound shop Alan Corrin. I would be a novelist. And it took ages to get around to it. When I finally published it when I was 33 or 34, I always already felt that's far too old to have written a novel. I was depressed. And then when it didn't like get nominated for all the big prizes, immediately, I thought it was a failure. All the people who wrote, it was reviewed by a woman I'd had a one night stand with where due to the consumption of vast quantities of drugs, beyond my capabilities to deal with. I'd been unable to perform as a gentleman would wish. Right. And I felt that her poor review of it in a national newspaper was a, was <laughs> born of a kind of sexual disappointment and okay. rage at, the, at an evening. And I, I might have phoned her up and said, was that why? She just went, no. And then, then she pointed out it was a perfectly good review of your book, and I went back and looked at it. And even the bad ones were mostly fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one bad review by a woman who hadn't read it, which I can still remember. She said, Aristotle knew it. Shakespeare knew it, Joyce knew it, colon, stories have to have a beginning, middle and end. And she's chosen the three people... (laughs) <laughs> who don't think that. Yeah, they do, they yeah. don't think that. Joyce especially didn't think that. He thought, but stately plump, but Mulligan, was that you plunge straight in, tell the yeah. fucking thing, and then stop. Shakespeare did not think in terms of beginning, right. middles, and ends. He thought of circles, of wheels of fortune. He thought Aristotle didn't give no shit about no beginnings and ends as long as there was a unity of time, space, and action. And she got that signicated everywhere. So <clears> all <throat> of like the Plymouth Argus and the Norwich right. Echo and all these... Knuckle dragging pr- colonial provincials, whatever. No, it, they, I, this same review was published everywhere, and it fucks me off. But the p- fact was, it did all right in terms of the reviews. And really, if I'd had nothing else to do, if I wasn't, if I didn't have a job as a as a journalist, so I, if I'd been someone who, I don't know, I could have pressed on and tried to write a second novel and a third. But
0: have you tried? And is there something no, else I'm in the probably, in the locker?
1: I've tried. I tried. I tried. I sold. An, I sold the novel to the publishers about uh, Henry VIII about five years after Winkler, which is an envisaging of Henry VIII. It's Henry VIII in therapy. Right. Uh, I, I was I, I had just split up with my sixth major girlfriend of my life, and I was 35, and I realised that at that age, Henry VIII, the was still married to Catherine of Aragon. So I was thinking I was like Henry VIII, except he hadn't even started. And I was, how was I ever going to settle down? What would Henry VIII be like now? What would it be like to be Henry VIII? I had this girlfriend, my second girlfriend, and I, I felt really bad when we'd split up in a really yeah. bad way. And I always felt remorseful. But at least I didn't cut her fucking head off, was what I thought. How would you feel if you'd cut off your last girlfriend's head? What about poor old Henry? And he will then go into therapy with his fool. But Will Summers, okay. who was Henry's fool, and we don't know much about him. But I thought, what if we said that That's the school could can good idea. speak truth So It was a good idea. And I sold it. But I got—I sold it for maybe 30,000 quid to Jonathan Cape. And like 30 grand, by then I was doing TV. Yeah, 30 grand was a decent weekend doing uh, voiceovers for clip shows, you know. And then my best mate from university, a guy called Robin Cassab, who's a lovely, brilliant man who didn't have a famous father. He wrote a book called The Road to Damascus. And he got a book deal for 50 grand. And I okay. then that, I became unable to write my. This is it's. If you think of Martin Ames and in the information with like yeah. slightly smaller thing. I became unable to write my novel, knowing that my friend wow. had had. And since then I've. And you know, I no one wants to hear what I have to say. One of the problems with Winkler was, which was my novel was, I already had quite a big readership, in the papers. So when it came out, this this quite good sub Philip Roth, mm. Anglo Jewish Holocaust slash kind of bildungs bildungsroman, it was like it was okay, but. It wasn't a friend. No one was going to go. This fresh new voice is fantastic. We've heard no. from the, the underserved, the disenfranchised. Stand up, Charles Corrin. You've never heard of him, but you will. It was like he was just this twat with a famous dad who'd, who was eating out the carriages for free on Murdoch for the Times every week. There was like okay. it was not a hunger. There wasn't from, a need for my that, shit culture. Ha- yeah, it wasn't. So so and so now, no literary fiction. I'm out of touch with. No one would want it. And short of sitting down and trying to come up with an idea, like say, some old people in a retirement home yeah. getting together to solve crimes. Uh, I'm unlikely to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Have any of your
0: columns you've ever looked back on, do you think they stand up now as closer to art than no. journalism?
1: No, uh, there's some very good ones. What,
0: what are you most proud of? I of can't remember. Um, no,
1: I, I write them and forget about them immediately.
0: Should I pick one which I read yesterday from 2013? I read it when I first moved to London, and it's about London Fashion Week, which I was pretty suspicious of, but you skewered in and actually back then fairly a forward-thinking way. No one really cares about London Fashion Week anymore. It's not really a They
1: did then what about what fashion is and the exploitation yeah, of and women. How and how
0: essentially it was like the most, it's meant to be about female empowerment, but it's actually the least progressive way. And it's all men basically who hate women, that, putting them in clothes that women can't wear. And...
1: This would be a bugbear of my wife's. Um, particularly, she thinks about people like Johnny Versace, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Dutch and Cabana, those sort of men. She had persuaded me that... The fashion industry is a is a war perpetrated against women by men who hate women because of issues with their mothers. And I thought, well, if a woman thinks that, it's probably an okay thing to write. And but So there was that. Yeah, if I think back, I've written some good pieces. I wrote a piece about taking my daughter on holiday, which mm. was the most celebrated piece I've ever done, which is now the piece that...
0: They exerted. That the the, the,
1: the, 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 the Corbynite Momentum woke Excerpt as an example of everything from everyday sexism to casual paedophilia to where I wrote about... You know, having two tickets, having some air having enough tickets to fly club class anywhere in the world. Mm. But my, I've got a, we've got a second child. We don't have any childcare. My wife, I couldn't afford to take all four of us. I, my wife said, "Why don't you go with Kitty?" Took my three-year-old daughter. Had this amazing time. Wrote this piece, which people went plots for and won prizes. And then years later, someone finds. And I wrote about. I'd written about whether a romantic holiday really works whether a se- when right. you go on a sexy holiday do you ever really have sex you go on a romantic holiday how romantic is it holidays are just thing you arrive you have some food you get a bit drunk you know, da, da, da. and then going and how holidays are all the same old same old and then i went to the caribbean yeah. on a thing which was free hotel because i was writing about it free travel because i got some air miles and you could just sit there in the car, but my eyes were- I was just with my three-year-old daughter alone for the first time, and I saw the world through her eyes, and I talked about, and we sort of, you know, drinking from the same cups and sleeping in the same bed, and turning up the air conditioning cold so that she'd snuggle in even tighter <laughs> in, you know, in the night. And how- I, you, be, to sexualize that, I mean, I fucking, this is the thing, it's in the mind, it's like the old joke about the Rojak test, you're the one drawing the dirty pictures. Yeah, how yeah. they got from there. And I just said, and I realized that this was, the most romantic, if not the sexist yeah. holiday ever. And people get up and say, I'm a paedophile, and they they get 100,000 likes for that being an example of me being a paedophile. And that was the, this was this, celebrity, you know, Melvin Bragg, Martin, people wrote to me to say, this is Stephen Fry, all these kind of people. This is, this was so beautiful. This is so lovely. Or Joan Bacon, I remember writing to me. And, and that was one of my better pieces, because if you write the really good stuff, it's the, the people find a reason to to they hate you for Yeah. A handful of others. I wrote the introduction to a collection of pieces about eating out, how to eat out. The introduction was a piece about eating Chinese food with my father. Mm. And then they serialised that, they put that in the Times, and that got a huge reaction. So some of those were very good, yeah. but they were sort of very good disposable journalism.
0: Though. Okay. Not well, good. I beg to differ. I think they, they stand up now. Before you go, your, your new podcast is all about you searching for things to write about, really. And mm. you are a professional opinion haver, which must be an exhausting process. But can I throw some things at you? And you give me your kind of knee-jerk reaction to these things. You you can. You don't have to. I
1: I would say my defence of um, the the things that I write, which I always say to people, which is my job is to express an opinion, not necessarily my own. Okay. Uh, And because what kind of lunatic has that? Would have three opinions a week that you could get a thousand words out of. And one of the things about the people who think who have take issue with the things that I write, a lot of those. It's not fair to call them keyboard war- keyboard warriors or whatever, but the people who want to get onto Guardian on un- whatever it's called, yeah. un- unspoken, unpaid, whatever. It- that the-, the people who want to, get- they they think that we are people who are doing the job because we we want people to think the same as us, they, they think we want to persuade people, right. we think we give a shit what they think. And that isn't what the job is. The job is, exp- because you can't do it it's a, as a job to, you know, feed your children and yeah. pay the mortgage and all that. You, you can't always write about it, because you don't care enough about enough things to keep it diverse and interesting day after day and week after week, so you form an opinion about something. And it's the it's key difference. You're in that position, you should be using this to persuade to, to people of what you really think. and. It, it's not. You, you, you write the thing which they'll pay you for, so they've got something to sell an ad with. Fine. But yeah. anyway, yes, hit me with those things. Triple cooked chips. Greasy and disgusting. Yeah, it doesn't that'll, really work. Do. Heston came up with it. It was a good idea. It was an old idea that you parboil, fry, and then refry. Doesn't work. Um, but now they need to get to fuck, and my children won't eat them. You little skinny <laughs> fries. Much Salty, dipped in ketchup. Absolutely. That thing when you bite into the carapace, and they're not done perfectly, just in gastropubs and Malti. stuff. The fact you can buy McCain's ones and then put <laughs> them in the oven, and there's the, there's the air gap between the crunch, usually full of vegetable oil, and then some manky bit of potato. No, don't like those. Twitter. It's rather fun that Elon Musk has bought it. I think I quite like it to just be Elon Musk, Donald Trump, and me. Then <laughs> no, I don't like the same. Nice one.
0: Uh, the word Proustian.
1: Oh, God. No, nobody knows what it means. Adrian Gill, God rest his soul, didn't had never read. Proust and used it anyway. Other restaurant critics do. They say, I bit into it and I got a Proustian rush or something. Uh, yes, no, it's just uh, overblown and these people have never, ever, ever read it. And all, all <laughs> what happened with Proust was that he dipped the Madeleine into the scented tea. I think it's a chamomile tea. And it's yeah. the smell that transports him uh, sort of physically uh, into the reminiscence, which is most of Valoris Chertier Tom yeah. Perdue. And it is absolutely not about biting, eating a packet of monster munch and remembering when you were 12. That, that's not fucking Proustian. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: the Woolsey. The Wolseley. The I Wolseley, The
1: Wolseley. I can, no, I, I can never do that either. Yeah, great tragedy. Can't go now. Ratatouille, the film. Well, it's... People, people cite it to me too often right. uh, as, as being like him. I, I thought, it was, the film's lovely. It's a lovely film, and I love the fact that they were in it for 100 years and, and stultified. Um, I'd love it if they made one about me. Yeah. <laughs> Keith McNally. Oh, what a twat. Terrible twat. I don't know whether these are meant to be one-word responses. No, I, okay, not fair to say terrible twat. Not fair to say. Keith, I mean, he he I he's a bit bonkers. I don't know. He's maybe not well at the moment. I, I wrote a very, very... He got very angry with me with a review I wrote about his Balthazar here. I wrote about, I liked the Balthazar in New York, but then again, all Englishmen like New York. Because you you, you fly and you land at what is already 11pm for you but it's 6pm for them and the only way to get over the jet lag is to bat on through so you have a couple of whiskey sours go and find a dealer do a gram of coke and you're still up at 4 in the morning thinking, yeah it's the best fucking town in the world and then you sort of sleep and cry until it's time to go home and everyone thinks we're in New York and that's why they get away with restaurants like Balthazar <laughs> uh, and, and he wasn't happy about that but I had given it he then spent years persecuting Marina O'Loughlin who hasn't ever given him a bad review and I think he and James Gordon deserve each other Foie gras I don't think you should eat it anymore, and I don't. Caviar bumps. Have you seen these things? I have. I was sad to see that it had become a meme. That's how I've eaten it for years. I learnt that from Matthew Freud, who had these Christmas parties where he would have a kilo... Of... of? Beluga. Uh. Yeah, in, and you would, and, I, and everyone, else, and he'd have these amazing parties with Geldof and Blair and Cameron and yeah. Donna. Uh, and I'd walk in and go, all right, Matt, where's the caviar? And he'd go, circle floor by the okay. door. And I'd up there and, and eat it until, Pwah! you know, it's amazing. But, <laughs> and, and in those situations, never wasted a cracker. I don't actually like it off the skin. It falls off and stuff. I mean, um, I prefer to use just a mother of pearl spoon. But yeah. yes, I don't want to have it on crackers. And the, yeah, the, the bump idea is... Ugh
0: pretty nerf. It sounds like you're quite in the uh, almost the Chipping Norton set.
1: Our house in the Cotswolds is I used to tell people when they asked where it was I said are you in the Chipping Norton set how close is it to yeah. Jeremy and Dave and all that lot I said well drive to Oxford come off go on to the A40 head out towards Burford keep on going up the A40 until you think I can afford a house <laughs> uh, and then they would always find me halfway to Cheltenham Yeah, uh, but no I, yes I know some of them I mean I, I didn't go to Jeremy's bonfire night on Saturday because I had to uh, I had some people coming around to my house in Kentish Town but I'd have loved to have gone and done a a yard of Chang with the ex-prime minister but I I had uh, I had uh, sausages to grill
0: Um, the next one is baked potatoes
1: yum best thing in the world yeah yeah my house (laughs) recipe is like baked potato in the oven top whack Wait until it's ready, then leave it another half an hour until the next door neighbors called the fire brigade. Then get it out, smash it with a hammer, loads of lurpak and salt. Yeah. And then it tastes like it. Bonfire night. It t- t- as I was just saying, it tastes, like, it tastes like bonfire night of the 70s. Sexy fish? Never fucked a fish. Almost everything else. Sexy fish <laughs> are catastrophic. Matey, I mean, look, what's his name? Um, Caring. Caring. Owns Barclay Square. I, walk, I New walk, restaurant, Bacchanalia. Oh, Bacchanalia. Bacchanalia, sorry. I mean, the the, the fact they've called it, they're about to open it, the press bump from that, the fact that he's got all those things around Barclay Square, Sexy Fish, and all of those others, I I find that all so depressing. I I don't hate rich people. I write for the Times. Rich people read my restaurant reviews and go to my recommendations. It's all fine. But the things that you could spend the money on that aren't those awful knockoffs, the Bacchanalia has these hoardings that made me laugh, and they have this god. They Mm. on the hoarding, if they're still up, and they have Well, I can only seem to be Bacchus, yeah. Uh, this winged god with this chiselled Michelangelo's David body, and he's got pants on, okay, because they don't want to have a penis on the hoarding. So it's a Greek, or oh, no, a Roman, it's a Roman marble... It's kind of statuesque, yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking like it's flying with pants on. So that means He's got wings, he's got no arms. How did he put his pants on with fucking wings? <laughs> They're too rich to give a shit, and they don't deserve to have restaurants at all. They should go to fucking Nando's. How can you put pants on a, on a on Roman god,
0: quite right. Champagne?
1: I was off it for a while, but I'm not sure if that was a bit of a position. I, I don't know. I only drink a nice cold man vanilla, and okay. I won't have a thing. I, I quite like champagne. I quite like old. I quite like vintage champagne, but I don't like old old champagne. Okay. Um, but I would al- always rather have a cold beer. Always. One of the things about it's always about middle class parties. You always arrive at a party. You always arrive with two bottles of wine handed over. They go with like a glass of wine. You go. I don't suppose you've got a beer? Yeah. And they go. If you want beer, bring fucking beer. <laughs> Uh, Simpsons Tavern. Hurrah! It's got to be saved. Do you think it's going to be saved? I don't think, I think it might be. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I sort of got a lot done writing yeah. a column about you've got to save it. I happened to have been there a year ago. I took my daughter, I love the place. I went 15 years ago to film there with Sue when we did supersizers, Edwardian supersizers or something. Uh, it's just a sort of, it's just, it's a, it's a if it's not there, you've lost yeah. I mean, football, you know, it's like you took lords away and then what would be the point of playing cricket? If it's not there, the other reference don't mean anything. Uh, it's been, you know, screwed by uh, expat landlords. That can happen. I think possibly it was a box-ticking accounting exercise made by a man in a hammock in Bermuda who didn't know. really realise what he was doing. So... Either we raise the 400 grand that's needed to save it and we're a quarter of the way there now after I wrote. The Times, we had a leader on it yesterday They picked up from me. The Telegraph have done it. The Standard, Your Gold and the Standard has done it. I've, entre new, I got a call yesterday from Oliver Shah, the big investigative guy at the Sunday yeah. Times to put in, get, put in touch with Ben Duggan who I'm hoping this week Maybe we'll do something in Sunday Times. Yeah. Maybe his speciality is like Big nefarious. It's yeah. something like it's. The, I think it's a simple mistake, and I just think it has to be saved. And the, 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 the city, it's so beloved of so many very rich men. Yeah. They've they've got to find ways of doing it. And I wouldn't mind if that were my legacy, uh, that the thing I managed to do. Because go. I've goddamn, I've closed enough restaurants. I'd like to. <laughs> I'd like to keep mine open. Pop um, noodles. Yum. Lobster. Yeah, overrated. If there's thousands of them bubbling about in the sea and you can just reach and split one, yak it on a grill, and then eat it with some butter and garlic and a cold mm. beer, fine. But filling it with foie gras and selling it in Mayfair is, is a bit grisly.
0: Um, jokes about vegans.
1: No, no longer funny.
0: But they were once.
1: I probably made some a few years ago, but <laughs> but not now. They still do. When I see... Dear old Jeremy Clarkson, who's a, a brilliant genius, great mm. friend of mine and a genius of a man, but sometimes he's on autopilot and he'll do columns where yeah. he's, he's rousing vegans. And I guess, yeah, it's not the point. The vegans had their moment a couple of years ago. I think the vegan moment is over. Right. Uh, but because
0: vegan, it's, no, now, it's now kind of fairly mainstream. The vegan restaurants were opening days. all the time yeah. and
1: now they're just closing. Um, but uh, no, I think veganism is probably quite important. A.A. A. Gill? Um, miss him desperately.
0: Was he the best? who wrote about food in any kind of way. No, or-
1: um, but, he, but Adrian was very good. And Adrian has had uh, an afterlife in death that he absolutely deserved mm. of a kind of Kurt Cobain type of thing where everyone's forgotten the 95% of stuff that he just churned out for the money, as they do, and it's a hope for all of us that yeah. people just remember. Because he was, he was, he wrote half a dozen brilliant pieces, 50 that were very, very good. We had a wonderful turn of phrase, told hilarious jokes and it's a shame that he's not there, because, you know, yeah. the, for me, my, when, there was the, the point in writing was to sort of impress my dad, and he died, and I wasn't sure what the point was, but short of earning a fat six-figure, something, basically fuck all. Uh, and then, but I thought, well, Adrian, and, I, and Adrian reading it, and about, uh, my dad phoned me up every day with whatever piece I'd written to tell me how brilliant it was, and that was great. Right. Adrian would do it about three times a year.
0: And that was a good day. And
1: that was a good day. The last text I got from him before he died... Was telling me that he enjoyed a piece I'd written, uh, ripping up the breakfast, the fried breakfast at a hotel in an Oxford called the Randolph, yeah. which I slaughtered, half thinking, I wonder if Adrian's gonna read this. Then heard he was dying. Then I got a text from him saying, Good, wow. p- good piece on the breakfast. And then he died.
0: Was that all it said? Good piece on the breakfast? Uh, Pretty much.
1: I think it was. Baby bells? Uh, yeah. My children <laughs> used to like them. Sub editors? Yeah, well they've well, they've, the fact is that there aren't any anymore. I got very angry about one who wasn't very good. Lots of them didn't used to be very good. I know journalists are supposed I've defended this so many times. Journalists are supposed to roll over. They, this is held up as me being a cunt. He was so high-handed, pissing down on people. I was only 30. The book I was emailing was senior to me. He was piss poor at his job and left the industry soon afterwards, and good riddance. Uh, he, he fucked with copy that he didn't understand. Yeah. And that shouldn't happen. And writers are supposed to be deferential to this, oh, yes, whatever, I just filed. Oh, they saved me from my mistakes. If you work with a good one, it's a privilege and it's a great thing. I work with good sub-editors now, but there used to be lots and lots and lots of them in the days of the unions and everything. And they were very, very important for lots and lots of writers. But I've written... Four million words in twenty-five years, three thousand people. I've never once filed a spelling mistake, not once, or an error of grammar. You don't need to do that. I file the copy, you put it in the fucking paper, and I still. Fi- and it, if you need to cut for length, phone me and I'll take the word out. If it's a bit tricky going around the corner or something on a picture, yeah. phone me and I'll come into the office and I'll lay it out myself. Don't fuck with my copy. So now that's a given. Yeah. And what happens is, is that subs phone up a bit. So I work with a couple of subs now who are absolutely great, and I'm sure they think I'm an absolute wanker, but. They always turn out, they're always surprised that I'm nice and biddable because I'm saying all this so that that attitude is understood. And when my copy comes in, yeah, people don't fuck with it. And then they might email and say, We were wondering about the semicolon, it'd probably be a comma. I said, Oh, I don't care, make it a full stop if you want. And they're so surprised that I'm so <laughs> biddable. People, my mother would always have said, Be nice, don't swear, don't lose your temper, save it for when it really matters. I go the other way, lose your fucking temper, massive publicly. Everyone thinks you're a massive twat. And then if you're quite nice to them on the phone, they think you're an nice.
0: upside. Yeah, the last one then is. Is I want your opinion on Giles Corran. Uh,
1: I find it very hard. I've either made the most of a fairly meagre talent, or I've wasted a huge one, and I can't tell which.
0: Very nice, Giles. Thank you. It's been a you lot of welcome. fun. Well, if you enjoyed that episode of The Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love The Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.